Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, Join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam, or fake accounts. So, Ro. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to stop you there. This has got to the point where I actually receive Instagram DMs now, starting with... <laughs> So rough. Do you? Oh, I'm thinking, I'm happy that I've improved your Instagram experience. So. I thought you'd be interested to know that, and I saved sharing that factoid with you until this moment. Oh, thanks for caring. Um, so, we've got a slightly different, again, episode, not so much by our choosing this time. Um, so. We're a bit short on time at the moment. Yeah, yeah, we've been a bit busy looking after a a sick child, which hopefully we haven't caught ourselves. Yeah. Uh, But only time will tell, I guess. Uh, So I apologise, well, we both apologise, for the probably not quite so great sound quality this week. Yeah, we've probably got worse... We've not got the same recording set up, I think is how you're normally meant to say it. But yeah. Yeah, um, it's being it's being honest. <laughs> yeah. But we thought we'd um although we're very tired, we thought um it'd be better to still have an episode about something. Yes. Um, but a bit less um structured maybe, or a bit less focused, I guess. Yeah, I just don't feel like we have time to do our currently planned episodes. Yeah. Uh, the justice that that we can do them, so it's better to wait until hopefully next week, uh, but if not, the week after when when we can do that. Yeah. And hopefully, normal to, service will be resumed sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But there's still still some stuff to talk about this Mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to, first of all, um, we've had some questions and things, haven't we? Yeah, so we've had some questions and comments from our listeners, which is exciting. Um, One of which was someone wanted to know the difference between a globular cluster 
okay. and a nebula for a start. And what is the difference between <laughs> a globular cluster and a nebula? So, um, so a nebula is something I think we've already mentioned. Yeah, it's nebulous. So it's a it's a big cloud um, in which stars are formed. Mm. Um, so it's a cloud mostly made up of hydrogen. Um, and a, a cluster of stars is obviously where you have lots of stars. Right. All, all together. Um, I'm going to guess Gravitationally, it is, um, you know, interacting with each other. So it's a bunch of stars that have globbed together. Yeah. Okay, it kind of does what it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah, which is quite nice. That doesn't always happen. Um, <clears throat> so you get different types of star clusters, and globular clusters are, are, are one kind. That means that they are gravitationally bound, so all of the stars in that cluster are stuck in that, in that cluster. They can't Okay. Are we, talk, are we talking a lot of stars here? Yeah, like up to like millions. Right, so it's not like a binary system or anything? No, no. It's not It's not the same as uh, like a binary or tertiary system. Right, so, so I guess you said there are an awful lot of them, so it's not even like they're the same stellar system, they're like, like neighbouring systems. Is that what's going on? Like, it's not like the yeah. sun is... Yeah, I mean, they can have planets and stuff. So, right, okay. Yeah. And you also get open clusters, so they're kind of the same idea, but they tend to be a bit younger, and they don't... Uh, the stars kind of can escape. Okay. Uh, from from that. Uh, so there tend to be not as many stars in them. So, kind of on the surface... It maybe isn't obvious what the question is asking. Okay. If you haven't come across these terms before. But if you have, then you've probably heard that globular clusters are... Um, like, all the stars are formed at the same time. Right, okay. So then it's quite a logical question to then be like, well, how is that really different from a nebula where lots of stars are formed? Right, I see, yes. And what, what is the answer? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was thought and it was consensus that globular clusters, um, all the stars were formed at the same time as each other. Okay. And then it's maybe less obvious what the distinction between the two things are. Okay. Um, except for the fact, I suppose, that there's definitely no... There's not necessarily any more stars being formed in a globular cluster. Right, okay, yes. But that's not necessarily true. Um, we There are, like, globular clusters where it's known that there are stars of different ages in, in the cluster. Right, so some bits have been sort of born at different periods of time, but they're still sort of held together by gravity. Yeah, exactly. So it could be that somehow other stars have, you know, two lots of stars have kind of combined into one cluster. Right, okay. Or it could be that the 
the region of space in which the stars are formed has made some stars and then uh, star formation has reignited somewhere else and then some more stars right, have been okay, made yeah. and then they're not necessarily all the same age anymore. Mm. Um, I really like the idea of um, of like stars and planets being captured. I don't know what, yeah. I, think, I think just like growing up you kind of think of everything is fixed and even when it's all moving around it's sort of predetermined as to like this is where it is and that's what it's going to keep on being and so it's kind of crazy to think sometimes things come close and get snatched out you know and they can combine and do weird things yeah that's all really yeah so um, it's it's not uh an obvious thing mm. to me to to distinguish between the two. So um, is a nebula like a stellar nursery? Yeah, that's that's, that's what they exactly often get what it called. Is. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because I feel like I've heard that term. Yeah. Star formation is a really interesting field actually and it's something that I think I naively thought, maybe I don't know, mm. it maybe seems naive now, but that it was something we kind of understood quite well mm. it just felt like something that we should understand <laughs> yeah um but actually doing my phd in st andrews i've kind of learned how not true that is because mm. there's a few people in the department who work on star formation including a couple of pretty big names and uh it definitely seems far from very well understood and mm. <laughs> things um, I guess you never really get to see the whole process you're sort of putting bits together of, you, you, first of all you can't even see all of the data from yeah. a, an individual thing but you've got like it's almost like you know when you look at a recipe online and first of all you're looking out for that button that says jump to recipe because you really don't want to look through yeah. But it's almost like you've got sort of a selection of the images in their, like, life story on how to make a cake or whatever. And you've then got to try and work out how they fit together, you know. And you could end up with just, here's a bunch of ingredients, here's a cake. And you're like, well, do I cream the butter or maybe the flour goes in first? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of star formation requires huge hydrodynamic codes mm. um, to be able to model you know millions upon millions of stars in your system starting off with all this gas and dust and then making stars form in different regions and I mean there are some pretty cool videos and pictures that you can find about it but um just requires a huge amount of computational, you know, expense. Mm. And a lot of models don't really include magnetic fields. I think one of the things... Which I've... are a pretty important part of stars um, and well, the star formation process. So, yeah, yeah kind of... there's, um, there's, there's so much we still have to learn about it. It's a really interesting field. And a lot of our understanding of it comes from looking at huge numbers of stars at different points in their life. Mm. 
and using that to say a star like this therefore would act like this throughout its whole life mm. you know we've got one star that is you know x many million years old yeah one that's x many billion years old and mm. if you get enough data points in between that and they're the same kind of mass mm-hmm. uh then you know you can make some statements about what that's kind of what a star of that mass would behave like mm. but that's there are still other things because they don't they're not necessarily going to be exactly the same they don't yeah. necessarily start off you know with exactly the same rotation rate for example so you do get some deviation but yeah i mean a lot of our understanding comes from very different ways of thinking and different ways of modeling things than mm-hmm. it does um from the kind of ways that you might might feel more um natural maybe mm. to you i think the way that we approach the sun is quite a natural yeah uh, way of doing science because we can literally observe it and yes. uh, gets far away, but it's not that different to having a lab in some ways, you know. Yeah, but I guess with the sun, you know, we can we can really uh, in great detail look at what the sun is doing now yeah. and over the past however long as well because we now have data and I guess there's also like historical records of I mean you talked about the Carrington effect or something is that what it was in like the yeah. 1800s or something yeah, or I event mean, rather but you we do have historical records but let's be honest from the sun's point of view it's all the same yeah well that's what I was going to say we don't actually know like we've not been given all of the the start-up, um, yeah. the, the beginning. Um, and to understand the sun and its past, you have to do exactly the same thing. You have to go and look at other stars that are similar to the sun yeah. um, in mass and in, uh, in the rotation rate that we expect the sun would have had. Mm. And say, well, therefore, the sun would have acted like this. I think also as, at least as a kid growing up. Which is up, basically what I do. So that's well, pretty fun. You that's, you sold your research now, an extra <laughs> grant, please. Um, yeah, I feel like as a kid you'd catch bits of, um, like, space documentaries or whatever. And it would say, like, and then the hydrogen fused and the sun ignited and they've got a nice cool CGI mm. movie and it goes boom even though I'm not sure how you hear it but yeah they always make loads of noise in these things uh, and that's the beginning of the solar system happening and you're like right great start made done sorted we know how that's done but I guess it's it's a bit like when you see those NASA pictures of artist depiction of B374829 yeah the custard planet or whatever <laughs> And it's like, well, I can see what they've gone with, but actually you've got, like, one, like, light curve or something telling you this planet's got custard on it. Yeah, I love when they do that kind of thing. And you're like, 
yeah, that's the one plot that you drew this yeah. image from. I mean, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing them. It's just, um, I think it's kind of, it's almost like the sort of, you want to explain stuff to people, but at the same time, and that can often mean that you need to fill in gaps, as it were. But I guess sometimes you give the impression that you know more than you do. Yeah. I mean, I feel we're going very... We've gone completely off at attention now from yeah. what we were originally talking about. But that is something that I feel quite strongly about. And it is a really interesting point. You know, it's a very fine line. Mm. Um. I absolutely love physics, I love science, and I love art. I think probably a lot of people that are listening to this probably know that. Um, but, and I do think that they really complement each other and they can help us connect and understand things, mm. you know. But it is a really fine line because... I do feel that way about stuff like artists' impressions. I don't object to them existing. I just... It feels like it can be misleading. Like mm. you say, it makes it seem like we know more than we do in some ways. Because it, like, it would almost be better if it was, you know, provided alongside, this is the plot. Right, yeah. And this is the artist's impression. Because often it is like just a couple of things. It's not like... Even if it's come from an entire paper and an entire body of work that's taken years, mm. the information in that artist's impression is often just like from one or maybe two plots, you know? It's yeah. not like... Yeah. It's not loads. And I think it... It does the public a disservice... And it also, I find it infuriating because the public are perfectly capable of understanding that if you take the time to explain your plot, right? Mm. Like, if it's only, like, one plot, uh, people can understand that. And if they don't understand it, it's because you've not explained it very well. Because there should only be, like, two variables. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, one variable and one, you know constant of some sort and th that's that's understandable mm. and it kind of I just feel like when you just show an impression, an artist's impression of something that's had to be just, so much of it is science fiction in some way mm. it's artwork primarily yeah and that's fine but it's just the way it then gets plastered over like science like news articles and stuff like that as if it's i don't know yeah do you remember I just, that, it um... makes me feel a bit uncomfortable because i feel like it can just feel a bit misleading like you say like we know a lot more about it and it's not it's not even an explicit thing that your brain does mm. right because i feel my brain does it as well mm -hmm. it, it just kind of is a subtle thing that you don't your brain just registers it as, like, we must know a lot about this. Yeah. It gives it, like, more weight than is maybe appropriate. 
Yeah, I think that's part of it, is that... Because, you know, like... Do we know more than... Given the impression that we give more about... Uh, say, an exoplanet than we actually do, you know? Like, the exoplanet isn't going to do anything to people's lives, basically. But the sort of... The status mm-hmm. of of scientists, mm-hmm. as it were, and the sort of, I guess, the, the cult of belief, which then, if anybody is ever found to... It makes... I guess it's more... Science is about trying to get as much understanding and knowledge from the data that you have available. Yeah. And that will mean that sometimes you got it wrong or you got it slightly off in some way. Yeah. Sometimes, Sometimes you're way off. Um, and you know you can have different schools of thought that argue about things, and then all of a sudden a completely different one comes out and says you're all wrong. Yeah. It's something completely different, um, and that's fine. But it just um, I don't know if it may be also just particularly this period in time as well with all things fake newsy um, and distrust in certain institutions or whatever. Um, it just feels a bit kind of dangerous, I guess. And, like, um, you don't want... There, there is a sort of belief that the scientists are infallible or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get, I don't know, I mean, like, you know, the guy who did the don't get the measles, mumps, rubella or whatever it was. We won't even give his name airtime. Yeah, whatever. You know, just like you can, and that was that was different, right? Because that was that also was completely fake um, and forged. And but yeah. you know, you get people who then like believe fake things, and then will, as a consequence, then disbelieve like genuine things because they've lost faith in. Understandably, people, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just kind of feeds into that. That's like really... It also just makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm going to, you know, once again bang on about scientific literacy of the public and stuff. And it just feels, like you say, like it's... uh, Selling science is something that it isn't. Yeah. You know, and perpetuating this idea that scientists are somehow like, mega clever mm. and a step above other people or something, which is just so not true. I mean, I just uh, I just don't like it, and I don't... It just gives me an uneasy feeling because it feels like just not uh, being completely honest. Mm. You know, it's not like... It's, there's nothing wrong with having artist impressions. It's it's quite clear that it's not that being explicit is not a photograph, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not. The issue is not that. It's just that I just feel like psychologically, it just makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, and I feel like it's also disrespectful to the public because if you just show that alongside how you've got the information for that mm. artwork. It just, you're giving the whole picture then. Yeah. It it feels more appropriate, it feels more respectful, because the public are perfectly capable of understanding that if you 
if you can, you know, if you explain it. Mm. And it just, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I'm not feeling very eloquent tonight. But well, I thought you were much more eloquent yeah. than I was, but you've been in this game longer than I have, so. But, yeah. I don't think that people drawing pictures of exoplanets will lead to the overthrow um, of society or whatever. I think it's not, it's as, they, not about, as things go, that's... It's not about uh, that, though, is it? It's not about individual No, that's, things that's the like thing, that. it's the kind of... It's about the overall behaviour. Yeah. And that that applies to everything science. I guess that maybe that's no different yeah. to other things, though. It's kind of the... Uh, not so much an obsession, but basically an obsession of selling things. Like, the, the need to sell to whoever, whether it's, like, the public or yeah. politicians or whatever. You need to sell your work in some way to provide um, interest and that then means that sometimes you oversell it or you sell other things that you're mm-hmm. not really aware of selling because you're just sort of trying to find ways to yeah to gather engage. interest yeah. yeah anyway so that was one of the questions I don't think we I'll do too many tonight because I'm no. pretty tired. But that's fair. But if you do have any other questions, then feel free to get in touch. We've got our details at the end of the episode, and also um, on well, mostly Instagram, but also it should be wherever you f- have found your podcast. It should be linked in the notes. So. Yeah, um, always happy to hear from you all. In other news, I've also been reading a popular science book um, recently. Uh, the The Sky at Night, I've already forgotten what it's called. Uh, something About the Moon. Something About the Moon, yeah. By Dr Maggie Adderin Pocock, who is an absolute queen. I say read. I've actually been listening to it as an audiobook. Yeah, recently, I know. Because I haven't. It's just been easier with yeah. <laughs> this past week. I think nowadays I say, like, I listened to this book or I read this audiobook, you know, it just kind of. It's all. Yeah, it all intermingles. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the moon book about? Is it about the history of the moon or the history of going to the moon? Or it's just really about the moon, to be honest. Oh. Just, um, just lots of stuff about it. It's quite interesting. I mm. don't know if anyone, any of our listeners have, have read it or listened to it or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, if not, I do recommend it. Yeah, it's got a whole range of stuff. It's got some of her personal kind of, you know, how she ended up being interested in science and and astronomy and things and that's quite interesting to mm. read um you know she's she's an interesting person in herself um she co-hosts the sky at night right she does yes she does now yeah and um She's also, I've not 
you know, read that much, but I think I'm about halfway through, but talked a bit about um, just human appeal of the moon and how we've been fascinated for it, uh, fascinated by it for, you know, all of history. Mm. Um, she's got some poetry in there, it's quite mm. interesting. Uh, yeah, all the way up to, you know, more hardcore science of how the moon possibly was formed and things like that. So, yeah, it's got a whole range of stuff in it. Our kid learned about that recently, didn't they? They were pretty... What, her existence? No, well, also that, <laughs> also her existence. Um, very much a fan of Maggie, but also yeah, about... Yeah, big fan. So two planets maybe smashed together and that's how the moon happened. Yes. They were pretty excited. Yeah. What's better than planets? Planets colliding. I mean, that's that's yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they were pretty excited about that. Mm. Uh, moon formation theories are quite fascinating and I have got thoughts of an episode on oh. on that. So we say I have got thoughts for my own moon theory, which is that aliens gave it to us, <laughs> um, possibly as a present for previously being an alien colony. Uh, no. Who knows? I guess. Who knows? Never can tell. But no. So uh, my reading more recently that's um, somewhat space related is I read. Children of Time, again, I read, it was an audiobook, um, by Adrian Tchaikovsky, I think. Uh, and that's like uh, Spiders in Space Civilization. Oh, yeah. That was fun. Uh, and more recently, I've read Sense and Sensibility, which has less space. That's not really space. Thing. Uh, but my hot take is uh, I prefer Pride and Prejudice, which you're not happy about, so... I mean, I'm not, but I'm also confused about what this has to do with space. Well, you re- you shared your reading list, so... Yeah, uh, well, I just thought it might be of interest to our listeners. Uh, our, interest, our, our listeners might be interested they, in... They've possibly Jane already... Austen. Yes, that's true. <laughs> they've possibly already read it, if they have, and we'd like to hear what you thought about it. I'm quite enjoying it so far. I definitely would recommend it. Mm. Uh, yeah, also, interesting factoid from it. Okay. Uh, which I didn't know. Mm. But uh, Johannes Kepler. Yeah. Famous uh, he came astronomer. He an equation. He did, yes. Which yeah. says planets go around the sun. Is that right? Yes. Keplerian. Yeah, that's how, how you calculate the, the period... Uh, the time it takes for for a planet to do a circular orbit around the sun. It's quite an ugly equation from memory. It's like T equals like four thirds or three quarters or something. Yeah. I'd have to write it down. It's all muscle memory. I, yeah. I don't actually remember these things. I mean, it's not too ugly, but it's not as simple as I'd like it to be. No. Uh, but yes... Famous, famous for that. He actually has written a sci-fi book. What? Yeah, 
I think it was published after his death by okay. his son. Uh, it's called The Dream. Right. Although, obviously, it's not called that because it was written in Latin. Right. It's uh, like... The Dreamius. <laughs> no. I can't remember what it was in Latin. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't know he'd written a sci-fi. Oh. And I'm now on a quest to read this book. Right. Is it long? I don't really know. Like, you know, there's different sort of vogues in I don't. Like, I don't know. Publishing. I don't so, really know much about it. Is he going to have written, like, I hope it's a not 1, like page epic or something? Or is it going to be, like, two pages? Yes. It's um, sci-fi, so it's probably relatively long. I always think it could be the opposite, but, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if anyone else knew that. Do or you know has read it, and if so, can they let me know if it's good or not? Is it worth reading? Because I no am quite please. fascinated. But I do didn't you know what know it's that. about vaguely. The dream, like, is it a man that dreams he goes to space? Or? I don't. I don't really know much about it. I literally found out about it, you know, not that long ago, Jeez. this evening. So, huh? Yeah. Oh, similar moon thing for any of our Antipodean listeners um i'm not sure how widespread it was but there was a partial eclipse uh which i saw was uh, visible in australia i don't know if that also extends to other parts of the southern hemisphere um i don't really get how eclipses work i don't know what the coverage was i didn't didn't get the chance to look but but to anyone that was lucky enough to enjoy that um, I guess good on you. <laughs> yeah, lucky you if yeah. you were. That's very cool. I saw with the the SpaceX rocket explosion, which was fine according to them. They cheered afterwards, apparently. They did. Did you see the video? I didn't because yeah. I, I didn't really care that much. They didn't think that it was going to go as high as it did. Apparently. Okay. Um. Yeah, I saw a thing afterwards that said... I just... Uh, I, saw a thing I have that, such mixed feelings on these kinds of things. Because, you know... You just exploded a bunch of rocket fuel and parts and things. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, the environment doesn't need that. It's also a complete waste of money. I'm not saying it's a waste of money to do these things, because it's mm. not. It's just, if you didn't expect it to be at all successful... Yeah, I think that's the that's point, like, isn't it? If you expected it to not even get as far as it got, which wasn't realistically that far, yeah, then I just have a very uncomfortable feeling about that. Yeah. I mean, it is... Like, that's a... Like, we shouldn't be taking those gambles with the current state of the world. I did see that, you know, their their ethos is uh, not so much don't bother to not make mistakes happen, but um, mistakes are good things, so you don't need to... You learn from your mistakes, so just launch it, and um, if anything goes wrong, then we still learn from that experience, as opposed to NASA's go over it a million times. I have... I do have sympathy with that viewpoint. Mistakes are how we learn. I feel like that's that is something I believe. That's that that is a model that I parent by. 
But there's a difference between that and, like, just deciding it's okay to blow up however much fuel and however much money. Mm. Just because it's mistakes are good because you learn from them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I, d- I don't know. I saw it's, it's meant to be able to carry like 100 people or something. I mean, it's absolutely huge. It's massive. It's huge. Yeah. See, at the same time... Which is really cool, and it's a really cool... I was going to say feat of engineering, but potential feat of engineering. We're not... That's obviously not there yet, but... Mm. I just... uh, I don't know. Mistakes happen, and yeah, but... I don't know. I, I feel like you should be aiming to... You should be aiming for things like that to be a success, right? Like, mm. things like that shouldn't be something where you're... There should be a very high chance of success of things like that. Yeah. I guess the other thing, though, is, like, you know, when you talk about sort of destroying the world, you know, how much how much of an impact does a very irregular launch of the largest rocket ever launched sure, compared but all to of the, just planes. It's not just that, it's also all of the bits landed right. in places that nice. they've now caused, you know, ecological damage. Nice. Uh, Salt the earth. It's not, you know, it's not... It's not just the emissions. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the emissions obviously are an issue, but like you say, that's... The grand scheme of things, that's, it's not actually uh, that much. Yeah. Um, however, if you're going to be regularly doing that because mistakes yes. are good, then <laughs> that's I, different. I did also see that uh, apparently they'd quite like, as a, I don't know if this is them just, you know, saying things as like, also we could imagine this, but said that we could use this rocket in the future to travel between like London and Tokyo in an hour it's like you're not using rockets as <laughs> as as taxis I'm just gonna not comment on that yeah fair fair yeah do you all see the, the spiral however long ago from SpaceX I didn't see it no it was it was over Alaska I'm not sure mm. if you needed a time lapse to see it, but okay. um, I think it maybe occurred with the Aurora. Um, a rocket launched by SpaceX from, I think, California. Um, later, it had to eject some fuel in the upper atmosphere, which apparently rockets mm-hmm. quite often have to yeah, do. Yeah, that's quite normal. Uh, and think. when you're at a high enough altitude, the fuel then um, crystallizes and turns to ice particles, which then, if it's in direct sunlight, can then um, refract, I guess, um, the sunlight down towards the Earth where it's actually in darkness at that point. Um, And I guess the nature of the movement of the Mm. fuel as it's expelled uh, makes this kind of spiral pattern. Cool. Yeah. So it's not like a super rare event, but it's, um, or rather it's not unheard of, but it's somewhat rare. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, I have to go and look that up. I haven't, I haven't seen the pictures. It looks did, quite cool. It looks like a galaxy, it, but... but like, I guess, a big galaxy. <laughs> um, but yeah, the pictures are quite cool. Well, I will take that as my homework to mm-hmm. go and review that image. And I think with that, we should part until hopefully next week. Yeah. When hopefully we can return with some more typical content. Yes. If not next week, then definitely the week after. But hopefully next week. We'll put something out next week. Bye. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts, and, if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show, and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions, or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.